The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Well, my friends, put September to bed, walk into the month of October. Uh, you know, from a seasonal perspective, the markets tend to tend to find a footing by about the middle of the month of October. Reason being, that's when earnings begin to come in, and earnings usually beat to the upside. Uh, this is going to perhaps be a different month. A lot of reasons why the market should find a bottom, a lot of reasons why it may not find a bottom. So it's going to be a very, very interesting uh, few weeks and a few months. I want you to stay tuned to Hi-Fi Radio each and every Saturday night as Jack and I do our best to navigate these turbulent times. Yes, we are wealth managers and we want each and every one of you to have more money. Uh, Mr. Jack Hartle, of course, here by my side. Uh, for the cause, uh, quite the week, Jack. Um, you got Scott Chan lined up. You want to start with some bank discussions, do you? We do, Wolf. And uh, yeah, it, it's been a challenging market for sure. September's been tough, so hopefully looking for that that change mid October when as earnings roll in. But uh, you know, the the picture's a little bit cloudy out there right now. So hopefully Scott can uh, help guide us through uh, the earnings season. All right. Without further ado, Mr. Scott Chan. Uh, Senior Analyst at Canaccord, uh, covers the financial sector. Scott, uh, you're close to the action, of course, watching the financial markets and dealing with the big banks. Um, the big banks have a lot of debt on their balance sheet called mortgages. Um, the, the mortgage market has so changed. Interest rates have rapidly increased. The rate of change uh, is mind-numbing. And... Uh, the word on the street, I was speaking with Frank Leo the Lion, is there are some people who are basically now underneath a big rock and they can't get out of that uh, position because the rate of change has been so great. In other words, their mortgages are coming due at much higher interest rates. And some people are beginning to be viewed as forced sellers of real estate. What's your view on the Canadian banks with respect to their exposure to Canadian real estate? Uh how are the banks going to perform in this rising interest rate environment and slowing economic activity? Uh, you know, the, the backdrop is quite dark. Talk to us, Scott. Yeah, one of the primary headwinds on the banks is certainly their, their housing or mortgage, mortgage exposure. Um, it's, um, it, it dominates their, their balance sheet, as you suggested, right? Like between 35 to 50% of the book is in mortgages. Um, and mortgages have been a tailwind to the pandemic up until this year. Uh, and this environment, it is going to, in my view, going to be a very slow uh, housing market for a while, as long as uh, mortgage rates are, are this high, and it's going to persist for a while. Uh, the Bank of Canada has not stopped uh, increasing rates. Like We're expecting another 100 beeps over the next two, three quarters. Uh, and that is putting people on the uh, on the sidelines. Um, like slower growth on the mortgage side, like could be deemed good, but like we're going to see some material slow growth and and uh, and, a, and, a, and a drop in originations that that that's going to impact the uh, the volume growth at the banks. I mean, the banks this year, uh, like from a total loan growth perspective, is is going to do over ten percent, uh, and mortgages are are, are 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 close to that number and. You know, next year I see that falling to zero to three percent. 
right? And you're uh, talking growth now, uh, Scott. You're talking growth. Talking mortgage growth, yeah. And yeah. Historically, uh, it's been six to seven, so we're going to see a big drop that's going to impact uh, the growth of the banks. But the other part of the question was the higher rate environment, and and it's a double-edged sword. Higher rates are good for the bank's margins, um, and we saw it really come through last quarter. It's going to come through this quarter, and it's going to be a tailwind into 2023, despite the slower growth. And again, sorry, Scott. The reason the reason banks do well from a profitable point of view as interest rates rise is because banks make what's called a spread. The spread and what they pay you on the deposit, which is still almost zero, versus the money they lend that out at. And that number, of course, mortgage rates are rising. That means that their spread is rising, so the chance to make more money. But there's a but, and Scott's going to tell us about the but. Yeah, the, the, the but is the, is, is the credit side, right? And, and that's the, um, I, I think, outside of housing, the, the primary um, like issue that is impacting bank multiples and bank stocks. Although credit is very pristine right now, and it's probably going to be that way for the next few quarters, um, if we are in this uncertain environment, high inflation environment for a while, um, and unemployment rate, you know, kind of normalizes and maybe increases beyond the normal rate, like coming from a very low level right now, then uh, credit is, is going to be an issue, and that's the primary driver of bank earnings. Uh, we're not seeing right now the banks build up allowances last quarter, all of them collectively, um, because of this inflationary environment and potential recessionary scenario. Uh, and they could Scott, we as investors, um, when we invest in Canadian banks, uh, a key driver to purchase bank stocks is the attractive dividends that all of the Canadian banks offer. The six big banks in Canada yield over 4%. Uh, historically, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, you're the bank analyst, but historically, the Canadian banks have tended to increase their dividend once or twice a year, quite consistently. Uh, in this environment, is there any chance that the Canadian banks over the next 24 months cut their dividend? No, no chance. Um, like, uh, you know, looking at payout ratios, right? So what they pay in dividends relative to earnings, um, you know, looking at our numbers next year, it's, uh, it's at the mid-range, 45% payout ratio, and banks target 40 to 50%. Listen, like next quarter, the banks are going to increase their dividends. Uh, you know, the, the, they're going to continue that pattern every other quarter. The banks that won't, and they said they won't, is TD BMO because they're engaged in large U.S. acquisitions. Um, but, um, you know, the other banks will raise their dividends a little bit, right? They're not going to hold a constant. I, I believe that the banks will still raise their dividends next quarter. Remember, two quarters ago, they started doing it for the first time after that one-time dividend payment late last year. And uh, it was a murky time, but Royal increased their dividend by 7%, National increased it by 6 and the other banks increased it, you know, low single digits. Um, and, and we still forecast next year, you know, 6-7% dividend growth from the banks, and they're going to exceed that this year. Um, capital positions at this point in the cycle is very, very strong. It gives them more confidence that they can increase their dividends still, despite what is an uncertain environment out there. Uh, Scott, um, Jack and I continue to comb the North American marketplace, for, and especially in this environment, uh, for stocks that we can sleep well at night owning. Uh, and I don't just mean for the next three weeks. I mean, ultimately, with, with a long-term view in mind, whereby 
you, nirvana would be not having to sell the stock. You buy it and you hang on to it. I said a key uh, factor in reducing one's wealth uh, is taxes, and there is a cost to trading securities, uh, and that is the tax man. If you can defer paying tax, it historically an academic has proven to add to your overall net wealth. Warren Buffett certainly agrees with that, and I know Jack does as well. Uh, so, throw on the table, I think the question is obvious, but I'm curious because Martin Roberge uh, gave, gave us his answer about a month ago. Uh, one or two Canadian banks that you are confident will be worth, call it a 7 or 8% CAGR return uh, of capital. In other words, grow at about 7% uh, in share value over the next 10 years and continue to pay you that dividend. Uh, is there, do you have any confidence in one of our banks that can pull that move off over the next 10 years? Yeah, I would... Uh, uh, I would say World Bank, uh, and I would say Bank of Montreal. Um, that's that's you know, interesting. Have yeah, the best, um, long-term uh, fundamentals to drive above-average earnings relative to the group. Yeah. Future. Now that said, if you want to be savvy, and again, Jack, you know, I just added to the Royal Bank, and Jack, of course, being uh, the yin of the yang, if we shall say, or the you know uh, other side of the equation when we do our analysis, we have two different viewpoints, and we come into the middle. But uh, uh, Jack, let's talk about the cyclicality of the Canadian banks and your concerns around them, uh, and then we can maybe pivot over to a question to Scott as to when would be the ideal point in time to take a more aggressive stance. Go ahead, Jack. Sure. Thanks, Wolf. And uh, yeah, we talked about it this week as we bought Royal Bank. We're in uh, the late cycle uh, or late stage of this cycle. And what that means is just as Scott has been talking about is the economy slowing. Uh, there's potential for credit loss. Uh, typically, that's a challenging time for the financials that are highly leveraged to the economic cycle. Um, so looking through that, um, looking through the late stages of the cycle and as we enter the early cyclicals, that's where you really want to own uh, the financials and Canadian banks included. My question for, for Scott would be, uh, housing is going to be a drag, I think probably for maybe two, three, five years, energy profits continue, continue to soar. Um, where do you see opportunity um, within the Canadian financials and who has the most exposure to the energy patch? Yeah, um, it's interesting because after the 2015-16 uh, oil price collapse, uh, all the Canadian banks reduced their exposure, uh, and a lot of the banks divested um, capital markets exposure related to the patch. So uh, if I look at it today, uh, I would say on average, energy comprises 2 2.5% uh, on average of, of the bank's books. Back in 2016, so six years ago, would have been double that. Um, so they've um, they've gotten they've they've reduced their uh, risk, uh, you know, in terms of the patch and, and and look at more high quality companies, as you can see, because they've reduced their exposure by half. Uh, and energy's been a, a you know a tailwind, right? Um, and um, and uh, you know I, I think it will continue to be, and, and kind of shows the diversification of the bank's books. Um, some portfolios are going to do well and some are going to do really well, but net net, uh, they're well diversified. Um, and, uh, revenue is, is pretty resilient and earnings are pretty resilient outside of credit, right? And credit is, is the big question that we talked about earlier in the call. We're talking Canadian banks. We're speaking with their 
key financial analyst at Canaccord. His name is Mr. Scott Chan. Of course, the show is Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto each and every Saturday night from 7 to 8 p.m. I am Wolfgang Klein, my partner in your success, Mr. Jack Hartle, portfolio manager as well. Two for the price of one indeed. Stay tuned. More show coming up right after this. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Well, looks like people are continuing to travel. Boy, COVID really uh, created this surge in travel. And, uh, well, I tell you, uh, if you're converting money to travel uh, to any foreign destination, uh, you first look at the, uh, the Canadian dollar being 72 cents U.S. and saying, gee, the Canadian dollar is pretty weak. Uh, not really. Uh, compared to the euro, compared to the pound, compared to the Australian dollar. The loonie is, well, I guess the second strongest currency globally. Um, the currency market, and as such, those traveling, uh, well, can do okay. Uh, but that said, there is a lot of turmoil in Europe. Uh, Italy, that beautiful country I visited this year, included. Um, I feel for the people. Uh, inflation is running rampant, and the European Central Bank they're sort of in a corner where they have to raise interest rates, but their economy is already quite slow. And the risk of tipping them into a deep recession uh, is probable. Uh, and this week, the Bank of England perhaps had to intervene as their pound was in a free fall. Down 4% uh, you picked up this week, Ajax. You had a good keen eye on the uh, currency. I want you to talk to uh, the listener uh, as to what has uh, taken place with the currency market and, again, how that uh, ties into the theme of inflation and interest rates. And, of course, back to our Canadian banks and Mr. Scott Chan, our analyst in the financials, uh, who has also joined us this evening. Over to you, Jack. Yeah, there really has been a lot of currency volatility out there, Wolfgang, and it's it's really due to the central banks uh, and divergent monetary policy. But uh, yeah, what we saw in the UK this week was uh, so, Jack. Wait, I'm sorry, Jack. I want to, if I may, uh, you, you threw out a big word there. What do you mean by divergent monetary policy? It is Saturday night well, after all. <laughs> sure. Well, the, the the central banks, the Federal Reserve, is raising rates at an aggressive rate. So is Canada. Uh, they are also doing so in the UK uh, and in Europe, but they're doing it at a more moderate pace. And the, the fact is that their economies can't really withstand it the way that we can here in Canada. So what you're seeing, uh, and it's showing up in the currency and then the volatility of the currencies, is you're seeing the, the stronger hands, Canada, US, especially the US, but North America for sure, um, their, their currencies are rising at a rapid pace relative to uh, the UK, the euro, the yen. So currencies are telling you and they're giving you a tipping the hand of who is the stronger hand out there and who are the weaker hands. And um, there's some intervention that came out and it was the Bank of England. So while they're tightening policy, while they're increasing interest rates, they're also uh, providing liquidity to the system by going out and buying their own bonds, which is called quantitative easing. So they're tightening monetary policy 
but also uh, increasing uh, their monetary base through quantitative easing. So I know there's a lot going on there, but um, it just shows you that they were the first one to sort of blink. And I think down the road, as there's more stress in the system, you're going to see central banks globally, and I'm going to say the Fed will be the last one to move, they will uh, have to increase liquidity in the system before they, uh, or hopefully they don't break something. What if they do to, to repair the damage that they've done in the economy? So I want to jump, Rob, I want to jump in here, Jack. I want to jump in here for a quick second. Monetary policy is basically the amount of money in the system and, and how government and the central banks are controlling the flow of money. Why is that important? I, I, I have a vision of a car right now. Uh, the money supply is the gasoline in the tank. And if you put more gasoline in, you can go further and accelerate more. But right now what the Bank of England is doing, again, it had this, this, this visual, is they're trying to drive a car with their foot on the accelerator, their right foot on the accelerator and their left foot on the brake, right? They, they're trying to raise interest rates, that's the braking mechanism, and yet they're out there intervening in their own bond market and that's the accelerating aspect of it. So it's highly contradictory in terms of a policy position. I'm quite surprised by it, but it was a, I think, knee-jerk reaction to their freefall in currency. But again, it appears, Jack and, and, and Scott, um, that they are the first central bank to um, quickly back away from taking the punch bowl away from the party. In other words, all this free money is like a big punch bowl at a party and people begin to get intoxicated. At some point, you have to take the punch bowl away. And so in England, they're trying to take the punch bowl away, but the currency market says, you better be careful because we're going to go in free fall mode and they quickly are bringing the punch bowl back to the party. Sorry, Jack, I had, to, I had to throw that in there just to make sure that the audience appreciates the mechanics of what's going on globally with the money supply system and interest rates and the impact of it on markets. Right. And, and their rapid change in policy was unexpected by the markets. Currency stabilized and you saw on Wednesday, uh, equity markets rose. Uh, and so did bond bond uh, prices rose as well, yields falling. So my question to Scott is lots of volatility out there, lots of uncertainty, rising interest rates. Uh, you cover some private equity firms. Private equity firms, you know, finance their acquisitions through a lot of debt. You know, we've owned Blackstone for clients in the past, Carlisle, yeah. Brookfield. They own, you know, large infrastructure assets. You also cover Onyx, Canadian Darling. In private equity what are your thoughts on onyx and then also just on the private equity space in general in a rising interest rate environment the private equity market is very difficult um because they had that with the cost of debt for a long time right decades uh which has helped out very very strong performance of like the blackstones of the world and kkrs and, and to a certain point onyx uh, what's happening now is that the, the vicious rise in rate, uh, you know, impacts them in, in a lot of ways that also has derivative effect in these underperformance right now. You know, they're highly levered, as you know, right? Like Onyx, um, you know, in private equity in general, when they do these transactions through LPOs, they're, they're like six times levered. Uh, and leverage in this market is getting punished. Right, no one wants leverage, high leverage with, with companies. Uh, at the same time, too, the cost of capital is increasing as well, and that has pretty much shut down the private equity market in terms of new investments, um, because paying a higher rate on these leverage deals is just not as 
economical or potentially profitable down the road. And that's why you're seeing uh, very limited activity on both sides of the equation. Uh, even to divest investments, the IPO market has dried up. Um, in the U.S., it's non-existent. You know, there's, there's been a few globally, but uh, the IPO markets are dried up, so they can't exit these transactions as well through the IPO mm. market. Uh, and they try to sell to other players, but because the market is so volatile right now, you can't get a mean of a good price out there in terms of what the buyers want and what the sellers want. The sellers think they can get a better price, the market's going to recover. Uh, so that uncertainty is also impacting those type of sales as well. Uh, and that can impact performance and then carried interest. And I think that's why you're seeing the impact of these uh, stocks decline. Um, you know, from Onyx perspective, you know, taking a medium-term view, we, we like the stock here. I mean, um, we've never seen it trade at this discount hmm. to its uh, to its value on its portfolio as of last quarter. Um, you know, it's 45% plus. Uh, at the start of the pandemic, it was 38. The last five years, it's been a 10% discount. And Onyx has net cash. You know, they have no debt on the balance sheet, 17% cash. And they also have public securities, too, that are identified more than private companies. Um, and, um, you know, if you kind of include that liquid part of the portfolio, Onyx is trading at almost a 60% discount to what they deem the portfolio today, uh, which is, seems absurd, but maybe maybe disconnected because of the market that we're in. And if the markets do improve, they've got good leverage to the upside and probably we're not there yet. But that's uh, the case for Onyx. And then, then Onyx, too, on the asset management side, the market gives no value for. Uh, they're a big manager of LP capital, like institutions globally, huh. manage over $30 billion. Uh, They're looking to double that over the next three, four years. Uh, they've got a good pipeline, but fundraising activities have been impacted, too, just with the market, right? Timings. And so it's, um, you know, the fundraising activities in terms of, Raising funds could take a bit longer, but, you know, instead of three, four years, it could be five, six. But nevertheless, over a medium-term perspective, um, you know, once they double their assets uh, and get better profitability, uh, I think it will get value inherent in that segment. Similar to Brookfield, BAM, uh, which has done a really good job over the past decade on uh, extracting value, and, and they're spinning out their asset management segment very shortly, too, to, uh, to further monetize it. So... Onyx is a good story um, here. It, it's a tough environment, as you said, Jack, on private equity. But investors with a, a medium-term perspective, the markets will come back. Uh, and I think Onyx is set up well uh, and has a lot of levers for growth. What is your favorite Canadian bank uh, right here, right now, Scott? Again, for a medium to a long-term investor, call it a three- to five-year time horizon. I consider that medium long-term. I consider, you know, upwards of 10 years. Uh, what's your favorite uh, Canadian financial? Well, we talked about uh, BMO and, uh, and Royal over the long yep. term, but like for investors that, uh, that may want to take a bit more risk, Bank of Nova Scotia uh, could be that contrarian pick here. Um, it's been the clear underperformer uh, out of the big six banks here to date. And uh, it's the cheapest bank out there and yields over 6% right now. Um, so investors with a medium-term view, Bank of Nova Scotia, a good chance of being you know, a better bank stock over time. 
What about the insurance space, Scott? Uh, Jack and I, uh, on Jack's direction, and Jack, I give you a lot of credit for a brilliant idea. And again, I could be jinxing it <laughs> in the shorter term. Uh, Intact Financial and Definity Financial, uh, two Canadian uh, property and casualty insurance companies. In other words, car and home. Yeah, like those stocks have done very well. Um, uh, like in terms of the financial landscape in Canada, that's like the go-to subsector in financials. You know, for investors in this market environment, PNCs hold up well. They can pass over premiums, claim rate, claims ratio, where the profitability is uh, has been maintained um, in this environment. And uh, like we don't cover the stocks, but we, uh, you know, we, you know, we are favorable. And and from uh, our conversations with investors, they're very comfortable owning them relative to uh, the banks, uh, life goes, and, and asset managers that they cover. Well, yeah, because Jack's comment, and again, you, you picked up on this, Jack, and the very astute uh, uh, comments you're, you're on these names. Again, I'm talking about Definity Financial and Intact Financial, two Canadian insurance stocks, uh, kind of sub below the main life and, and, and uh, sun life. Um, but they have been a place to hide. Um, you, you just see money leaving other areas of the financials, i.e. private equity, for example, but still want to stay in the financial gig sector, uh, the space, in other words, so they're running to Definity and uh, Intact, holding up very, very well in this environment. Uh, when does that end? And again, I know you don't formally cover the names. Uh, do you have any opinion about current valuations? Are they stretched or are they reasonably valued in here? Uh, and I'll two-prong the question, if you don't mind, just give me 60 seconds to try to answer both. In the United States, in the financials that I'm watching, Raymond James seems to have some mojo relative to uh, Morgan Stanley, JP, Bank of America. Can you give me 20 or 30 seconds on Raymond James? Yeah, I, I've noticed they've been uh, very resilient uh, on it. I know it's got some insurance as well. Um, I think it's well diversified with wealth, and I think it's really well run uh, from a cost and efficiency basis uh, relative to, uh, to U.S. banks out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in terms of affinity, and uh, impact evaluations are stretched. They're, they're training up premiums um, relative to its historical averages. And you see uh, banks, life goes, and asset managers trading at massive discounts. So when it turns, you, you'll, you'll probably see that narrow over time. But as of right now, that's the place to be in this market. Mr. Scott Chan, financial analyst. Canaccord Genuity, just great to have you on the Wolf on Bay Street team. Very helpful, uh, fantastic insight into the financials, uh, banks, and insurance. Uh, much appreciate your time today, indeed. Sci-Fi Radio, quick break, pay some bills around here, get right back to the show. Jack Hartle, of course, right by my side. You stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Indeed, my friends, that song goes up to my brother. I lost him two weeks ago.
I'll see them on the flip side. Indeed, I will. Yep, death and taxes. My friends, we all know it's reality. And it puts life into perspective. You know, a death, to witness it, I was told, is good. It puts life into perspective and allows us to reflect. Money, does it really matter? It does, to a point. But we get too emotionally charged with money, and that's, again, where... Well, when you see some death, it puts it into perspective. My friend J.J. Johnston, John Johnston, strategist with Davis Ray, Grateful Dead fan. I had to give you some Pearl Jam. I'm sure you like Eddie better. But uh, you two are experiencing some death in your uh, cosmos, shall I say. It's just a time of aging, isn't it? Yeah, Not that you're aging. Yeah, yeah. I'm older than you guys, so it's happening a little more frequently. I lost a... a, a friend I've known since the mid-60s earlier this year. Uh, he lived up in uh, Yellowknife because so, he worked for BHP Billiton up there. So we haven't had a chance to do anything for him here yet. But uh, last Sunday, I was at a funeral in a shiva for uh, a guy I've known since the mid-70s. And tomorrow, a, young, a funeral for a young man uh, who passed away a couple weeks ago with uh, a wake tomorrow evening. So yeah, it does drive the point home. It's quite significant. But let's talk about uh, money and death and, and perspective, JJ. Give, give us a little ph ph philosophy, if you may, uh, the, the world according to you, because you, you get it. Yeah, well, I think there's a few things. You know, everybody talks about economists and, you know, the dismal science and stuff. But one of the, econom one of the things economists look at in terms of how they view individuals is that, you know, they strive to maximize their well-being and they call it utility. And, you know, utility is v generally viewed by most people as goods and services, but utility and well-being is a broad-based concept. And uh, there's more to it than just stuff. And as we get older, well, we appreciate the, the stuff, the, the non-stuff more, the experiences, the friendships and all that kind of stuff, which are hard to measure. So that's one thing. But the key thing is, is that, you know, we like to assume that people maximize their well-being, but it goes beyond tangible things and beyond material things. So I think that's important. And money is important in all of that because you want to be able to do the things you want to do. Um, I'm finding a lot of, I'm at the younger age, age of, of a lot of the people I know, and pretty well all of them are still working because they want the stimulation, they want the life experience, as part, which is part of working, some of them only part-time, like me, but uh, they also want to continue experiencing those things and being able to experience theater, concerts, travel, and all these things that uh, uh, are, can contribute so much to our well-being. Jack, yeah, you, you were very eloquent uh, coming out of Russell's, my brother, Russell, may he rest in peace, uh, coming from his funeral. You saw his hockey team, and at his funeral, uh, all kinds of hockey jerseys showed up. Uh, the Wounded Moose. <laughs> yeah, but you, you were touched by that. Yeah, absolutely, Wolf. And uh, uh, it was a touching ceremony that you guys had for Russell, uh, a touching eulogy. Um, you know, amazing to see you get up there and speak so sincerely about your brother. But, you know, like you said, it comes down to experiences. It comes down to friends. Uh, the Wounded Moose are, I believe, uh, the oldest running uh, men's hockey league in, in Canada, or at least they claim that. Uh, your brother had legendary status. So that, that says a lot about Russell. You know, friends, experiences, um, and just seeing, you know, all the, the, the players out there with their jerseys was uh, an exceptional experience for me being, you know, a lifelong hockey fan. Um, but it really comes down to, you know, how you how do you make other people feel? And I think that's what uh, came through with, the uh, you know, the, the people that spoke on, on Russell's behalf. 
Yeah, there is such value to friendship. You cannot put a price tag on. Uh, JJ, um, again, emotions uh, are being percolated higher with the volatility in the global marketplace. And uh, I think something that's not being discussed very much, Jack's all over it, is the currency markets. The US dollar just running out of control to the upside. Again, much to everyone's dismay after all the printing of money uh, was to take the US dollar to zero, hence crypto and gold were to, were to be the places to be, but that is not the case. The US dollar is making multi-decade highs and, and that is having such ramifications to the downside in Europe, in England, uh, even in Japan and in China. Uh, can you speak to what is going on? And there's a virtuous cycle that's taking place. Maybe it's not virtuous, it's a, <laughs> but we'll use the phrase, there's a virtuous cycle taking place in the bond market, uh, enough for them to say, maybe we have to open up the global swap market. I'm sorry about the phrase and the jargon, uh, friends at home, but try to stay with us on this conversation. It's quite fascinating. Uh, Jack, or excuse me, JJ, over to you on that. You know, the currency markets, like a lot of financial markets, go through longer-term swings. We've been in a secular bull market or a long-term bull market in the U.S. dollar since 2011, uh, and they they don't have a set maturity date on them. It can go anywhere from six to 20 years. So, uh, the U.S. dollar is continuing its uptrend. Uh, the Federal Reserve cut rates to near zero. Uh, it printed all sorts of money, but that's what everybody did. Currency markets move on relative differences. Uh, and the Fed wasn't doing anything particularly different than everybody else was, but it's talking aggressively about bringing it out, and that's magnifying some of the upside. I think some of the upside also reflects the fact that as uncertainty increases, people move into U.S. dollars, not necessarily because the U.S. dollar is a perfect safe haven, but because so much of global economic and financial activity is conducted in dollars and there's lots of uh, lots of traders who have exposures in US dollars and they're going to have and they're going to have to cover them when the fed raises rates and the US dollar goes up it's a significant tightening in financial conditions and usually there's an accident uh, we saw it in a whole host, it, we saw it with the um, uh, Latin American debt crisis in the early 80s. So uh, I think it's going to, you know, we're on this trend and it tends to continue until something breaks and we have to see. Uh, you know, we saw the pressure on the United Kingdom. China's under stress. So there's a lot of stress in the system right now and the Fed and other central banks are increasing funding costs. So there's a risk here it's going to get really messy and uh, I'm quite concerned about it. Uh, the show's Hi-Fi Radio. Friends, uh, you may want to turn up your dial. Uh, Jack and JJ are on the same path. There's concern for a potential... What, what's the phrase you're using, uh, JJ? I say it's a market event. A market event, just like JJ talked about. Yeah. So, something's going to break. Something's going to break. And, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and at which That's exactly what you've been saying, Jack. The, the Fed may not be forced to lower interest rates until they break something. Hi-Fi Radio, stay tuned. I am Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager. Jack Hartle, my partner, Portfolio Manager. JJ Johnson, good friend of mine from Bay Street, uh, very wise, continues to remain highly engaged in finance. And the man has a big heart. Stay tuned. More show right after this. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Does your mother tell you things? 
Talk money, my good friends. That song goes to my brother Russell. Oh, tell me, friends, you don't want to lose a brother. No, 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 you don't want to lose a brother. You don't want to lose a child. You don't lose anybody. Um, but you know, death, if it just would always occur in the natural order, we could deal with it a little better, but it doesn't. It surprises you every now and then. Life is full of surprises, indeed. Jack and I work on Bay Street. Always full of surprises. I know this week Jack came running to me and said, Wolf, there's a lot going on this week. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, currency movement, uh, interest rate fears, bonds um, is just imploding as interest rates continue to push higher. Uh, oil weakening. Uh, oh, boy. Uh, annexing going on, of course, in the Ukraine. Uh, of course, that war continues and it's the story's being pushed aside i don't like that she, she remained front and center so it comes to a swifter end jj uh johnson strategist with davis ray kindly joining us uh jack please uh, help me out here where did we leave off uh and uh where, where are we gonna go sure Th thanks wolf and uh we left off the last segment with uh jj being pretty dark out there and uh, I, I don't think he's wrong uh, meaning we were talking about the Federal Reserve, the central bank in the U.S., making economic conditions very tight by raising rates, uh, increasing the value of the U.S. dollar globally, uh, and potentially breaking something and, and causing a market event. But uh, I would say the, the bullish part of that thesis, and obviously it's going to be very negative and dark at the time, but uh, we need a, a market event or some kind of event like that with a slowing economy to have inflation come down and, uh, and think of it from a second derivative point, which is a little counterintuitive, but things get bad enough that the central banks around the world have to, what we've been talking about is pivot and lower rates and ease economic conditions. And that will set the stage for the next economic cycle, I believe. I agree. Timing is the big thing. Central banks, like if you look at US and Canadian short-term rates, they're not overly high from an historical point of view, and they're certainly not high in relation to where um, trend inflation is right now, but they've gone up really quickly uh, in an environment where everybody thought, oh, we're going to have low rates forever. So there's a big shock coming. It's working, starting to work its way through the system. We haven't even really seen, we're only maybe seeing the beginning of it now. So uh, I think that we're going to have an economic downturn in the U.S., Canada, and globally starting sometime late this year into next. And usually when you have a recession, you get a flushing out of, of risky asset prices, uh, and that sets the stage for the new upswing, which could go on for many years. And the timing tends to be sometime during the recession, not at the, in the early stages of recession, but sometimes towards the middle of the recession, you hit a big bottom. And that's usually after the Fed the Federal Reserve and other central banks are cutting their, their key interest rates. Uh, and it usually takes several rate cuts. 
for us to see the bottom. But it tells us that sometime in the first half of next year, we're going to see a big bottom in asset prices. We could see a rally between now and then. I would just, I would just add there for the listeners, um, uh, what JJ is talking about is, you know, the economy is slowing and it's going to, I'm going to say dramatically slow down. Uh, based on you know how uh, how restrictive monetary policy is, the amount of money that's in the system, but the market at some point in the recession, so when things look very dark in the economy, the market will look through it and look towards the next recovery uh, and uh, economic cycle. Fair value for the market, uh, and then technical targets for the market uh, between here and year end, and then looking out to the end of 2023. What's your forecast? Well, um, when I look at the components to fair value, um, you know, I think we're looking at the the S&P 500, say, getting down to about 3,000, give or take. Uh, And, you know, when we look at the components of what makes up that index value, it's the price earnings multiple and then the earnings that are that are expected you know we've seen the price earnings multiple come down so stocks are relatively cheap and buying the future earnings path uh, or you know buy, buying future earnings uh, through buying equities is relatively cheap right now but one of the things we haven't seen is a proper adjustment in earnings expectations if we're talking about the type of event that Jack and I are talking about and the economic fallout those earnings numbers have to come down and that's where I think we're going to uh, see the next adjustment happen but you know starting around 3000 you know you, you swing from too expensive to too cheap and we're in the process of moving towards too cheap and you can get a nice kick up as you move back towards fair value and i don't can't remember where my where my number is for that for 2023 but you always overshoot it so you know i think it's reasonable to think that from 3000 we'd go up to 5000 um, JJ, let me again ask you another question because timing the market is very challenging. It, you know, on, on certain days it seems obvious and then all of a sudden the market does something very unexpected for whatever reason and goes the other way. Uh, so the market currently is down quite considerably from its peak. In fact, the NASDAQ is down over 30%. The S&P was down, what, 24% this week at some point from its peak. Again, if you have a three to five year time horizon, let's just say you're in your 50s or even in, you know, entering your 60s and you came into a windfall of money, would you put it into the market today? How would you strategize that? Reflecting the uncertainty you talk about, none of like I've given you my forecast, and you know, mm-hmm. a forecast is always hard to recognize when you're in the middle of it. Sometimes, so there is uncertainty. Market time, market timing is very difficult, even when you you know you spend all day looking at it. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always taken the view that everybody says, okay, if you've got X number of dollars, you know, and you're and you know. Prices have already moved in your favor. Maybe put 25% of it to work now, 25% in six months, 25%, uh, or if you and or put start putting it to work now. And if you have a big blowout, you put the rest to work, even if you're not quite at the bottom. You know. The, and what if you don't have a blowout? That that that's the, the well. What if the market starts to go up on you, and you're waiting for lower prices? Now it starts to run on you. Yeah, and then you uh, you just follow your program. Um, and your calendar, probably, so do more of a calendar every six months, dollar cost average, four tranches, call it done. And, and you're right. And history shows that when you buy equities, when you're below fair value, and fair value is a rising path in the equity market, it goes up over time, reflecting the fact that economies grow over time and prices go up and profits go up. 
uh, you're going to do okay. You make above average returns when you buy the market when it's weak, like it is now. No question. Just not so easy to do, but it is certainly encouraging. Again, time horizon is key, as is perspective. Have a great weekend, JJ. Uh, a pleasure, my good friend. Jack, my partner, great job lining up the guests as always. Sci-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.